HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network, broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, and welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today exploring New Worlder with Maria Elena Martinez and Nicholas Gill. Um, to explain what New Worlder is, I think first we have to define what Latin America is, because a lot of people you know, don't geographically understand the breadth of Latin America or Latin influence. So I'll let the two of you begin with the biggest question I'm going to ask. <laughs> Marie, you're, you're. <laughs> sure. Um, I think that where any confusion comes in about Latin America is just that it's such a massive umbrella of a lot of different cultures that are a lot of them related by language. So I think they get very much lumped together under this kind of Latin American thing, and everybody does the same thing. And though there are influences that are similar, certainly. Um, it's a region that starts kind of below, below the United States and extends to the Caribbean and South America and is very much influenced by Spain and Portugal, which we also cover on our site, New Worlder, um, and a region that's influenced by, obviously, Spanish and Portuguese settlers that came way, way before us. So that's in a nutshell. Nick, maybe you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even think it, it, it's <laughs> limited to what's below the yeah. United States. I think the United States at this point is practically a Latin American country, despite what politics may seem, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's like uh, the whole Western United States was once a part of Mexico. And, you know, it's sure. So basically what we're covering is just this landmass, really, and everything that kind of fits within it. Why this specific landmass? Because I know the two yeah. of you are kind of globetrotters. You know, uh, you know, sounds fun. How, how many countries have both of you visited? Um, in, in the 70s, I think. I don't I, to be honest, I don't even know. I, I, it's probably around there. Yeah. 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 
<laughs> but, but, but what is this drawing you back to Latin America specifically? Um, I think for me, and I think we, we come to it, I, I think initially it's about family and heritage for me. I grew up very white in Long Island, um, a very kind of cookie-cutter northern Long Island thing, and I pushed hard back from my roots, and I just wanted to be American, and I really didn't understand that there's something really special about Latin America, about the heritage that I'm half Puerto Rican. So that piece of it wasn't really something that I came to until I was older, wiser, had traveled, and felt something of a shame for not really understanding or embracing my own heritage in the Latin space. It's full of passion. It's full of food. It's full of family and really uh, ideals that I strive to have in my life. So for me, the region itself, sitting at a table breaking bread in these countries, just just spoke to inherently who I am. So for me, it was that. It was this part of the world spoke louder than others when I traveled. Nick, did you grow up white as well? Yes, very, very white. So I'm from Ohio. I uh, have no Latino heritage whatsoever. I am probably have no business really writing about food in Latin America. I just, yeah, well, thank you. But I, I guess for me, I so I was writing about food when I, I was still in school, and then I graduated. I started traveling a lot. And this was, you know, like 15, 14 years ago. And I ended up in Peru for a while. And I noticed, okay, something's going on here. Nobody's talking about it. So I stayed for a while. And it's just, I haven't been able to leave, basically, <laughs> right. since then. Other than this one exclusive appearance. Yeah, on except, radio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. except <laughs> this trip to Bush. What, what, what a contract uh, we had to <laughs> make for this to happen. <laughs> but, you know, uh, being... Uh, half insider or yeah. a complete outsider, the two of you collectively have also written dozens upon dozens of guidebooks um, throughout Latin America, from Fodor's to Fromer's to you know whomever. Um, how, how do you transition from being a pseudo outsider to being an insider? I think that's part of the process, uh, especially those guidebooks. I have to say, for for better or for worse, they're kind of going out of fashion with everybody just searching for what they want to search for on the web. But writing those guidebooks takes you to places. Yeah, totally. Wouldn't you agree? Totally, like, yeah. It takes you deep. And <laughs> like you wind up yeah. in places that you're like, oh, some of them are epiphanies. Some of them are, ah, get me out of here. It's like there's all these different nuances, I think, in writing a guidebook that lends itself to automatically becoming an Insider, if you're doing it well, would you agree? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I just use them as a way to kind of just eat everything in an <laughs> right. entire country and explore. You know, yeah, it's like in Peru, going to places like Andahuaylas or something that I would never ever have went to. But I mean, for this, I could spend a couple days right. there and you know, right, just eat all these weird things. I mean, in in a guidebook or having this culinary travel website that you have, are there places? I don't want to use the term not worth it, but are there places that you have to do so much to get to, to, to attain that experience that it's yours, it's personal, and it, it isn't something that you necessarily want to widely disseminate? I think that that comes up every once in a while where you discover something that feels so special um, and you know that it's going to be a touch point as you go forward in your life. And yeah, you don't want to share it. You want it to be something that doesn't become mass, massively crowded. Or, But at the same time that you say that, we have, I think, an obligation by what we're doing to share with people who are really curious some of those gems. Um, of course, there's plenty of overhype. <laughs> In a lot of different ways, and of course, there's some things you keep to yourself. But for the most part, like that's what we do. I mean, we 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 try to 
um, shed beautiful light on places that people don't necessarily know about. I mean, what in the past year have been those touch points? Uh, I know you do kind of a, a list at the end and beginning of every year, recapping and, and predicting. And I thought it was a really fascinating one, seeing through the lens of chefs what they think is special um, and what they hope to be special. Um, and, you know, w- what do you hope people experience first? What should be their foray into Latin America? Hmm. I mean, that's, that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think any foray into any country of the world or any new place or anywhere that feels unfamiliar would probably be to start with some of the tried and the trues. I think that that always sets up something that feels somewhat familiar, somewhat accessible, and then kind of dig deeper. Um, I think in terms of right now, it would be some of the places that are acclaimed, they're acclaimed for a reason. So Lima is a perfect example. Mexico City is another perfect example. Within our own country, somewhere like, you know, maybe Miami or Los Angeles have such hotbeds of Latin culinary culture. So maybe start with something that feels not as um, overtly quiet and build from there as as you find what, what gets you going. I think one of the more fascinating ones that I saw was an article you wrote about uh, Peru farm to a Portland, Oregon restaurant, the Stefan Berdeski. Mm-hmm. Andina restaurant. Which is it's fascinating because how many generations um, German-Peruvian is, is his family? It's, it's like three generations. I think it was three. But, you know, it wasn't until he actually opened this restaurant that the Peruvian came to the States. Right. 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 In Portland. And, in <laughs> Portland of all places. But what's kind of so special about that and so hard to have that reckoning that you know, you, you can project your heritage and people will come. I think that, um, for me at least, I think when you're dealing with passion, just in, as a rule in life, um, and it translates your passion. So whether it's Stefan and, and the Andina family, um, or whether it's us with New Worlder, I think that, that that becomes really palpable for people. And sometimes those stories tend to be um, embraced in a way that is deeper than something like a list, because it just touches on very, very human, very you know, state of the world emotions. So that particular article, it didn't surprise me that much that it, because it, that it, that it crossed over because it, it is, it's really about human condition and sharing heritage, sharing food, sharing culture. And those are ideals I think we all aspire to. I mean, Nick, you've Mm -hmm. had uh, the ultimate honor of working uh, on a cookbook (laughs) in Lima, Mm. Peru with Virgilio, 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 Virgilio Martinez. Um, now, Central is obviously a location-based restaurant. It's right. not something that you can export the cuisine right. and the flavors of. But how do you do that through a book, through an article? Well, I mean, Peruvian food in general, it's, it's hard to export. I mean, it's, that's why it hasn't really caught on so well around the world. I mean, it's starting to bubble up in London and you know Spain, a little bit here in Miami. But just, you know... Bringing all of those ingredients, these exotic ingredients, these kind of traditions behind them, it's it's impossible to export, you know. So writing this book, it's really about just trying to share those. I thought it was fascinating when you interviewed um, Chef Martinez mm-hmm. about what he thought were going to be trends for 2017. He said, 
Obsession for food will increase at all levels, yeah. status, style, and propaganda. Yet industrialization will present more of the bad stuff using the best packaging possible right. in 2017. And that's antithetical yeah. to <laughs> exporting you right, know, right, right. that singular experience yeah. there. So I, I love how New Worlder can stay so true to what the story is without saying, and you can do this at home. I mean, given there are sure. recipes, it's sure. more about going to wherever right, it is right. and, and Definitely. seeing it in its place. I think our recipe page, and, and Nick and I went back and forth about this as we were conceiving New Worlder, the recipe page is, you know, it, it's it's a, it's an interesting piece of our site because we're not necessarily putting recipes up that, you know, I can make for my niece and my nephew next weekend and they're going to be thrilled about it. But at the same time, those recipes are very important because they are the dialogue of the restaurants that you eat in when you go to these places. And if you're a food person, if you understand recipes, if you're an at-home cook, you can you can see the lineage, you could see the dishes, you could see the repeat ingredients, you can see the names and the words that make up these dishes that might be different, whether it's a tamal or humita. Like in in Peru, it's one thing, it's Mexico, it's another, but it's ultimately the same thing. And there's education, we feel, that happens through those recipe pages. It's not necessarily just about replication. And I think that that was important. Yeah, that for was us. like a big. You know, one of our first uh, kind of debates was, <laughs> do we include recipes that right. no one can make? And right. the answer was yes, yes. like a, a big yes. And if we're talking about yeah. chefs right. that are a little esoteric but incredibly important, it's also important to 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 kind of fluff out the rest of their world, whether it's entirely accessible or somewhat. And we're okay with somewhat because we're writing about places that not everybody's going to get to, that not everybody understands, and we're not looking for a mass, mass audience. We're looking for an audience that is interested in what we're doing. Well, I apologize because after this show, you're going to have a mass, mass audience. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to take a quick break and come right back cool. and talk more about New Worlder. Great. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese-American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese-American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael harlan Turkel, here with Maria Elena Martinez and Nick Gill of NewWorlder.com. Latin America, big umbrella. Um, but I want to talk about this eat list. 
Um, because I also think that's kind of a good uh, mm-hmm. stepping stone into the larger world of what Latin American Latin right. cuisine is, especially Buenos Aires. Uh, a lot of people may know Francis Mauman, and he's kind of, sure. you know, uh, one of the better ambassadors of that cuisine, Definitely. but it's based in live fire and these perillas, these, these grills. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I love that in two parts there's a neat list about those grills but there's also an article about la escuela argentine de los... did you see the picture of that guy no i didn't he looks exactly like Briz- um buenos aires mickey rourke oh yeah it's not even like he has such swagger yeah. like you gotta look at the picture well, i feel like everyone in da has such yeah, right. swagger right if you're cooking over live fire but you know you're, you're telling somebody about this experience to go have this food but also how to educate themselves in that area about that food um how important is it to find these kind of schools, uh, these educational experience that people can partake in and not just sit down, eat, and walk away? I mean, it's extremely important. I mean, it, it, there are a lot of things like this around Latin America, just kind of these immersive experiences that, you know, they're, they're not so much for the average tourist. But, I mean, if you're really into grilling, you know, and you want to get the Argentine way and you don't just want to learn about it by, you know, watching uh, Mom and on Chef's Table, you know, you want to actually be there and feel the heat and like, yeah, that's I'm, I'm, I'm so into that. I, I wish we too. could find more of those things. I will say that when I did my round the world travels, I tried really hard to do cooking classes in a lot of the different countries that I visited in Thailand and, you know, in, in Japan, just places that it, it just felt so out of my realm of possibility to be able to make X, Y, or Z food. And I think that if you are someone who is obsessed with food, food origins, food heritage, and kind of what we're what we're trying to create on the site, yeah, you're going to cooking classes. And yeah, these immersive experiences are important. Yeah, you want to smell and the ingredients and the herbs and go to market and see what's happening on the ground every day in those places. And I think these classes do that. I also love that one of the other food predictions on the site by Camilla Seidler of Justa in, 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 in La Paz, Bolivia, was about food meant for sharing. And, and it's that shared experience mm-hmm. that, you know, you don't always hear that bespoke of a chef say food meant for sharing because they, they, right. they want it to be their perspective. Yeah, yeah. What, what are some of those other shared experience that you guys have had in Latin America, maybe even put on the uh, on New Worlder? I, I think the one that comes automatically to my head, which I, Nick kind of sold me on, is there's a restaurant in Lima um, called Oso, and the chef's name is Renzo Garibaldi. He is he he was here in Brooklyn at Fleischer's for a while. Kind of he's he's this lumberjack of a guy, and in you know kind of Peruvian clothing, and he has a back room to his butcher shop that became an immersive dining experience for eight or nine Yeah, people. like it started out just like for his friends. And it's a meat tasting. So it became just like a, this four-hour meat degustation, you know, for that you could, you know... And it, you eat with to. your hands, and yeah. everything is cooking in the background, and there's aging going on, so you may be tasting like a 300-day-old yeah, like piece of meat, meat. Yeah, that yeah, tastes yeah, like blue time. cheese. Yeah. and there, But it's um, incredibly interesting. And so there's education, but it's also a group of friends or strangers, and you're just kind of eating with your hands in the back of this restaurant in Lima that's not really a restaurant, with this unbelievable chef kind of guiding you through. And that doesn't 
that doesn't happen here, at least not that I've experienced. Um, so that's that's something that stands out to me as like a really shared experience in um, South America. But there there are there are a lot. I think that something that I think is that these chefs that are doing these very finicky, very perfect plates. They're also they they also come from a food heritage that's about sharing and about just sitting at a table and about breaking bread and especially in Latin American countries that's that's part of the culture. So even though their plates may be a little finicky and a little bit um, less accessible, I think at the end of the day everybody wants to sit down with their friends, yeah. get a little wasted, really enjoy the food, <laughs> laugh a lot, yeah. chill out, and talk. And so Camilla just is picking up on a very, very fundamental thing. Well, I'm sold on that explanation, (laughs) but even more so, I'm sold on the fact of, you know, taking in the new world or um, (laughs) experience Latin America because, you know, we're in a very funny time right now. Um, What do you think? (laughs) And I think it's so, so important to, to not only extend yourself and explore, but bring those things back. And, and share that wealth and knowledge and, and civility and sharing. Um, so I only hope pe- more people go to newworlder.com and even it. more people go to Latin America and, and bring Latin America back. Well, it's already here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, it <laughs> but bring more of Latin America back from Argentina to Venezuela. We do too. Excellent. Thank you both so much. <laughs> Thank for you being so much for having us. You've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at three. Cheers. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.